And good morning, church. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are awesome. God, you're awesome. Thank you for welcoming us here into this place. God, we enter your courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. We enter your courts with praise. God, we're here to celebrate. We are here to worship. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We gather here to catch a glimpse of your glory, to look upon your face, to know you more. Thank you, Lord.
something more than this world could ever provide. My heart, it aches for something more for the fountain that never runs dry. Sing that with me again, church, my soul. My soul thirsts for something more than this world could ever provide. My heart, it aches for something more, for the fountain that never runs dry. Your love is sweeter than wine. Your I need you like the air I breathe. Your love has got a hold on me. I need you more than anything. I need you, I need you, I need you like the ground needs rain. There's nothing that can take your place. I need you more than anything. I need you, I need you. 
salvation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Oh, I need you. Oh, I need you. Thank you that you are always near for when we do. God, the reality is, is we need you all the time. Sometimes we fail and only come to you when things are hard, when times are tough. God, I need you when times are good. But how can I really understand the depth of the goodness of who you are without you there? So, God, thank you for being ever-present. As the psalmist wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything wicked in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you look it into my heart coming back Oh 
It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Sing that with me. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. But it's, it's all, all about, about you. you. It's, it's all, all about you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Alpharetta. We're so grateful you've decided to join us today. Here's a few announcements about what's happening at CCA before the reading of God's Word begin. Join us every Sunday for prayer at 8.15 a.m., adult Bible study at 8.45 a.m., and Sunday service at 10 a.m. We are currently in a study through the Gospel of Matthew, the Evangelist, taught by Pastor Blake West in person and live streaming on our YouTube channel. Good morning, church, parents, and students. Reminder, we have youth group tonight here at the church at 6 o'clock for fellowship, and then we're going to open God's Word and continue our study through the book of James. We'll see you guys there. The men and women's Bible studies will meet this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the church. Hey, church, just wanted to invite you all to our young adult service this Tuesday at 8 o'clock, where we will continue our study through the book of Galatians. Hope to see you all there. Ladies, those who registered for the Community Women's Conference, reminder, this takes place this Friday and Saturday right here at CCA. Good morning, church. My name is Kate Sipley, and I am the new director for our children's ministry here at Calvary Chapel Alpharetta. Our mission is to provide a secure, nurturing environment for your child where they are taught the Word of God as a foundation for salvation and for Christian living. Our goals are to stimulate a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, to train them to know and obey the Word of God, and to see them be conformed into His image. We are seeking servants for our Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. If you are interested, please come and find me, and I'm here to encourage you to prayerfully consider becoming a servant in our children's ministry. We have a volunteer application on the black table in the foyer, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you. Hope by Design is sponsoring a great day of community service, Saturday, November 4th. They're seeking volunteers to help with their warehouse to unbox and organize the donations to give to families in need. There'll be two different time slots, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 to 5 p.m. If you're able to help out and volunteer this day, you can find a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the table. Please fill out your information next to the time slot that you will be able to volunteer. Thank you. Hi there. Summer is over and it seems like the holidays are already around the corner. Before you know it, it'll be time for turkey and fat pants. And then Christmas. It's 
students of Roots and Wings Arts Collective have been hard at work preparing a Christmas show for you called A Not-So-Silent Night. Roots and Wings has moved here to CCA and the performances will be here. The first one will be December 8th at 7 p.m. and the next two will be December 9th, a 3 p.m. matinee and a 7 p.m. evening show. Please consider putting us on your calendar. You will not want to miss this. Thank you. Good morning, church. I am asking you to save the date. Sunday, November 19th, we are going to come together as the body of Christ to pack 300 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. We want to pack them with love. We want to pray over them and send them out that they will reach kids that don't know the gospel. If you can't make it and want to make a donation, please do so. Or if you have any questions, please come see me or my husband, James. Thanks again, and save the date, November 19th. Thank you again for joining us. We here at Calvary Chapel Alpharetta want to encourage you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of all the nations by moving upward and onward in our walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now prepare your hearts and open up your Bibles for the reading of God's Word. Well, good morning. I had something else to say, but I got hooked on fat pants during the announcement. Thank you, Amber. This boy's on a diet. Well, good morning and welcome. Men's conference uh, on Friday and Saturday, fabulous. I never know if, they, I think that they post these online. They should put the teaching online. Great conversation. It's, it's cool to see just the different personalities in Jesus and how creative God has wired all of us. We were talking this morning, and this is the guy I liked, and this is why, and what he was talking about, and this is the guy I didn't like so much. And then it's like, wait a minute, that was my favorite guy that you didn't like very much. Anyways, it's just really cool to see the diversity in the body of Christ, just how God brings us all together within Calvary chapels. Uh, when you sit in the, the nation of Israel, Israel, Jacob had 12 sons, and each one of those sons represents a tribe. You kind of use that analogy in the modern church where you have these different denominations that we could call these different tribes. I am very thankful for the tribe that we are in in Calvary because it's that last song that we just sang. It's all about Jesus. And when you get in here, when we get in here this morning, it is always all about Jesus. It is about who our creator is, past, present, and future. And all our attention is always on him, which we are going to get into both marriage and divorce this morning. Uh, one more announcement, just again, with the, uh, the women's conference that's going to be here on Saturday. Be praying this week. There's, a, there's, a, there's always, the enemy would love to seek to kill and destroy and distract in all that is going on. Uh, pray for the speaker, for Sarah. She's got all this stuff going on in her personal life. As she's, walk, you know, she's had a family friend that passed away that she's been walking alongside of. So there's these things that can be a distraction. So pray for her. She continues to prepare. Every time when I come up here, I'm asking God for the gift of prophecy. And I'm asking that same thing for Julia. She communicates at the conference. And for Sarah, that God would give them the words that are going to build up you women. That you women are going to be encouraged in your relationship with Jesus. And that you are going to find comfort in your relationship with Jesus and the fellowship that you have with other women. So just be praying for all that's going on because uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but the enemy is always trying to distract. I have one final announcement, and this is just going to lead us into the message this morning. And that is my wife. 
I adore Julie. I have the best wife on the face of the planet, neener, neener. Um, I'm taking the opportunity just, it's, I get the public face, right? You guys get to see me and listen to me. I get to see all the behind the scenes with my wife. And you men know what I'm talking about as you watch your wife serve you, serve your household, serve your community. I watch my wife and she's, she has been a fabulous testimony of what it means for a human being to aim their life at Jesus and to walk it out every single day. My marriage is super easy. We've had days that were bad, but I can't tell you a single time that we've had a week that was bad or a month that was bad. And the reason why our marriage has been so easy, and this is this ultimate encouragement this morning, is both of us made that choice to independently aim our lives at Jesus Christ. I had to make my choice, is Jesus my Lord and Savior, and am I going to follow him, yes or no, Blake? And I made the decision. I told you last week a little bit of that testimony. I was like a dimmer switch where it it took a while for that light to get bright in my life. Um, Same thing for Julie. She's been aimed at the Lord. I watch her devote herself to the Lord. I watch her journal. I watch her study. I watch her write. I watched all of her administration skills. We sit, I've been the pastor of this church for coming up on 10 years in, uh, in January. We would not be where we are as a congregation without my bride. She is everything that occurs in this building on Sundays, um, outside of the sanctuary. It's all underneath her authority, under her umbrella, under her service, whether it's the children's ministry, whether it's hospitality, the ushers, the safety. She's watched over all of that in relationship together, just in a congregation. Um, I can't lift my wife high enough. And I tell you that often because she's just, she's just a wonderful woman. Ladies, for those, again, uh, and men too, just sit there. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10 and on gives this description of what a virtuous wife, what an excellent wife looks like. That is Julie, period. Um, In all of our relationships with the Lord, we're all seeking to aim ourselves at him um, for sure. Anyways, she lifted high enough. Go give her a hug. No, don't hug her. She doesn't like hugs. Just go, just go tell her how much I bragged on her because uh, she is fabulous. All right, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're in the midst of this Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, my, my conversation about Julie will press into my own context and my own perspective. But as we sit in this room right now, if you just look around in the room, we're a diverse group. You have individuals who are married, and some have been married less than a year, just a few months. Some have been married like 70 years. What are you two at? I know, I just rounded up. How many years? 57. So we have, we've got like four months, right, Tyler? Wait, we'll live. How, how many months? Two or three. The husband knows. We've got two months to 57 years in regards to marriage in this room. For all of those who are married, 
our lives, our marriages are on this spectrum of some of you have very easy and it's been an awesome marriage. Some of you are on the other side of that spectrum where it's been really difficult and you've had to fight for it and work for it every single day and then every single thing in between. As we sit in this room and talk about divorce this morning, there are many of you who have been divorced and are in that position that you are divorced and single. There are those in this room who have been divorced and who are remarried, which we're gonna talk about this morning. The rest of the room fits into this category that you're single. Most of the singles, you are looking to get married one day. So this is all applicable to you. And then there are also singles in this room where God has called you to a life of celibacy, which we're going to talk about this morning also. There's a, there's a freedom in being able to fully devote your life to the Lord and in that relationship with him and not have a spouse. Um, Everything's there, right? The whole spectrum is there. So as we press into the subject matter this morning, I as a communicator, I need to think about each one of your contexts. And Jesus is thinking about each one of our contexts. As we sit in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus is talking about the righteousness of his kingdom. As he has been anointed and sent by the Father to become a man in the first place, and the Holy Spirit is coming upon him, as he is going into the culture of Israel, he's preaching this message of repentance, this change of life to turn into God with all that you are. And the reason is, is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's his kingdom. He's the king. He's the creator, he's made the rules, and we press into all of his definitions, not into our own definitions. And in this call of repentance, there's a call for each one of us to individually follow him. If you don't hear anything else, again, it's all about Jesus. You need to make the choice to follow your creator, your Lord, the one who you call savior, friend, master, teacher. It's all about him as you walk this out. At the men's conference, a lot of us commented on just this one line. I think it was Jim Gallagher that said it. Um, the only important decision you really need to make in life is that for Jesus. Are, is he your Lord and savior? Is he your God and creator, yes or no? And if you say yes on that, and you continue to say yes every single day, the rest of your decisions, they're easy. You don't need to freak out. You don't need to stress. You just need to walk out your life in relationship with your creator. And he's going to make known to you the other decisions that you need to make. Just a fabulous uh, communication in that. So Jesus is calling all to follow him. We've brought up multiple times that we're going to end again this morning in the Beatitudes. And if you just have the Beatitudes at the forefront of your mind as we enter to, into the conversation about marriage and divorce, husbands, wives, singles, if your character, if you are pursuing to be a peacemaker and you're pursuing mercy and you're pursuing meekness and gentleness and kindness, you're pursuing to be mournful when there's something that's broken in your relationship and you need that, uh, that recon reconciliation to occur. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness in your own soul and in your marriage and your relationships, if you're seeking to be pure in your own heart, all of those, if those definitions are the umbrella of your soul, of your personal soul, you will have, well, yeah, it depends on the other person too. 
when it comes to your, if both of you are aimed at the Lord in that framework, uh, you are going to have a fabulous marriage. And there are some marriages where one is totally aimed at the Lord and the other spouse is not. There can still be a joy and a peace in the one who is aimed at the Lord. Uh, Paul talks to us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 that, you know, hopefully through the witness of that spouse, you're going to influence the unbelieving spouse or the, the spouse that's not following Jesus and eventually come together in unity in him. But again, this, this whole conversation and spectrum is there as we talk about this subject. But again, if you have that your own mindset for you individually, if you're pursuing Jesus as he is directing us to follow him for these character attributes, you're going to have a fabulous marriage. Now, last week we sat in this idea of, of, um, of the eyes and of adultery. Of, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but Jesus communicates to us if we lust for another human being in our hearts, we're already guilty of adultery. So this conversation in regards to that naturally leads into the conversation of marriage and divorce. And again, next week, that naturally leads into the conversation about oaths, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because divorce is the breaking of your yes, of your oath. And we'll press into that conversation next week. Here's the other framework that we're going to press into this. So we're going to read a couple of verses here in Matthew chapter 5. And then we're going to go into Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is teaching the exact same subject matter. And then we're going to go and we're going to look at God's foundation of definition for marriage. When we hit Matthew chapter 19, as we go verse by verse, we're going to press into the other passages. Like 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 3, there's these other sections in the New Testament that give us a lot of encouragement in regards to our marriages as husbands and wives, gives us further definitions. But this morning, we're not going to press into that subject matter. I give you the verses now if you want to go study that out on your own. What we're going uh, to press into this morning is definitions and foundations, because that's what Jesus is communicating through the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of this section, he's going to press into this whole idea that we have a demand to be perfect just like God is perfect. So he's looking to bring about his righteousness in us. Know and understand that our righteousness comes by faith, not through acts of obedience to the law. That's where Jesus is taking us in this. But in this conversation, he's given us, here is the rule. Here's the threshold. Here's the fact. Here's the truth. And none of us can wiggle our way out of it. And here's what he says in regards to marriage and divorce. Verse 21 of chapter 5 says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Jump to Matthew 19. He's going to say the same things, but there's more context here. Matthew 19.3 says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, 
Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses... Because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. This is a weird statement. Because then his disciples say to him, if such is the case of man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Hear what the disciples just said? That's, that's a pretty pessimistic, fatalistic point of view. Anyways, Jesus says to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been, made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, who is able to accept it. Let him accept it. Again, that last section there, just talking about a life of celibacy. It's a calling. It is a gift from God. And there are individuals that he definitely calls to a lifetime of singleness to devote yourself to him and his kingdom. But for most of us, our life is going to involve marriage. And here's here's the rule. Jesus said it. We believe it. And we're going to teach it. There is when a man and a woman stand before God and they are in the witnesses, in the, you know, before people as witnesses and then standing before God as the ultimate witness, the the man and the woman, they are making a covenant with each other. They are making an oath and a promise. And God holds us as witness accountable to that promise. So when it comes to this institution of marriage, it is between a man and a woman before God in the witnesses of others in the body of Christ in regards to the covenant that is being made. And that covenant, again, it is something that is to be for life. And uh, Romans chapter 7 gives us that discussion and same in 1 Corinthians 7 that when a spouse dies, that that marriage, that the individual is now free to be remarried. So Jesus is teaching, here's the standard that God has given, and we're going to go press into all these definitions and foundation and why in just a moment. But here's the standard, here's the definition. Therefore, anybody who breaks that oath is guilty of committing adultery. There's a, there's a breaking of the marriage and of the relationship. And anybody who gets remarried, there's that, there's that reality of that initial marriage was to be for life till death do you part. Therefore, if there's been a breaking in that and there's a remarriage, that that remarriage is defined as adulterous. Now, how happy of a tune is that even in this room but in our, in our culture? People press against that really hard. 
Remember, Jesus is giving us the standard. It's been about, it's been about two years ago, and this was a wind of false and evil doctrine blowing its way through the church, and I'm sure it's still out there. But the teaching is, if you have been divorced and you are remarried, you are living in a constant state of adultery and sin. Therefore, if the rapture comes now, you will miss the rapture and you're probably going to miss the kingdom of heaven. That is evil. That is false. That is not the heart of God. What Jesus is revealing to us is God's intention in his heart. We're going to end up pressing into why God hates, why he detests divorce as we travel through some foundations this morning. But what I want to communicate from the gate, Jesus is setting the standard, the standard for righteousness. The righteousness in regards to marriage, here is a union, it's of God, it's in God, it's before God, and it's to image God to one another. And if adultery occurs, that adultery is, there's a breaking that's occurred in the relationship. And for those of you who have been divorced or your parents have been divorced or you've just experienced that, you know and understand the emotional pain and the consequences that go along with divorce. So that's what Jesus is seeking to head us off. Now remember, He's not talking about, here's, here's the standards of the world. He's not talking about, this is what's occurred in your past. What he's talking about is your decision to follow him right now in the moment, regardless of what the past looks like. There is righteousness, there is healing, there is cleansing in Jesus Christ for all of our brokenness and all of that pain, and he walks alongside of us. When it comes to being remarried, if you've been divorced, there should be a lot of caution there to make sure that your heart, your mind, your soul has been restored and that the new relationship that you're pursuing, it's actually of the Lord and being directed by the Lord. But I think the Lord absolutely supports remarriage. So even Paul, Paul talks about Jesus says, except in the case of sexual immorality, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about, well, what about if I've been abandoned? So if one spouse leaves the believing spouse, is that believing spouse free to remarry, yes or no? Paul says it's good for that person to remain single, again, in devotion to the Lord. But if your heart is welled up in you to pursue love, you should pursue love. There is a scholarly argument whether or not the exception clause is true or not. So in Matthew, we're reading in both chapter 5 and chapter 19, Jesus gives this exception for sexual immorality. And then people press into, all right, well, what's the definition for sexual immorality? It's everything that is illegal sexually according to God's will and his revealed words. So people press into all different definitions there. But in Mark, the scholarly argument is that Mark was the first gospel written. Mark doesn't have the exception clause. Jesus just puts all divorces under this umbrella that a divorce is unrighteous. So again, we can press into both ideas, but what I want to just remind you of as we press into this conversation, he's, he's holding the standard. He's holding God's will. God's will for each and every one of us as human beings, when you choose a spouse, that you're choosing Jesus, you are going to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that is going to enable you 
to be the man of God or the woman of God that you need to be for the spouse that God has brought you together with. And your marriage ought to be awesome and thriving in that environment. I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1. If you've been here any length of time at all, I feel like I come back to these early chapters of Genesis almost every weekend. Um, again, another, you know, just little nugget from the conference this weekend. Uh, Sandy Adams was talking about, you know, most divide the Bible into the New Testament and the Old Testament. And he pressed into this idea there's really a division that you could look at the Word of God, that you've got the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then you have Genesis 12 on, because in Genesis 12 is when God chooses the man Abraham and that family and that relationship to reveal himself and to eventually bring Jesus as the seed of the Son to save us from our sins. It's a pretty cool way to look at it. But I probably, again, I, I mentioned that and, uh, because I always come back to Genesis. It's so foundational. So when we talk about the subject of marriage and God's design, we believe in a divine creator. Evolution is a narrative that is absolute junk to me. I don't know how you press into it. I don't know what you've been taught. When I sit, sit in the subject of evolution, none of it makes sense. None of it is the reality that when I lift my eyes up and look, it doesn't express any sense of truth to me. I just look at my own person and I look at the complexity of the human body and there's, where's the source of the code? Where's, where's the information to bring about what we look like in form today? Evolution teaches us that uh, I've got all these freckles because I'm a lovely redhead. Like the narrative of evolution says that on the skin of this single cell of whatever, a little freckle popped up and that little freckle decided over a billion years, it's going to develop into binocular vision. That's junk to me. I don't say that to be offensive. I just say it just, it makes zero logical sense and it didn't make any sense to me before God. When we press into the subject matter of marriage, we are pressing into the fact that this creation is designed. And you sit in Genesis chapter one, you are watching the designer bring about his design for the singular purpose of creating man, male and female in his image. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And the heavens, just this vast, empty expanse that he created, this earth is this formless void covered in water. But this formless void, we watch him through the narrative of Genesis 1, bring about the environment to, for us to live in relationship with him. And this is this testimony that we're given in the first chapter. He's the creator. He's the designer. He's the commander. He's given order. He's given structure. He is the king of kings. It's all about him and what he wants. So when we press into the idea of us as created beings, male and female, he made us to be one, but he's made us a little bit different. As you sit in this narrative, you know, in, in Genesis 1, verse 26, is this uh, direct creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. uh, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jump down into chapter 2, and there's this zooming in to the creation of Adam being formed out of the dust of the ground. In verse 15, we've got the command that God gives to Adam uh, that he can freely eat of every tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 21, it says, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And the reason why God causes this sleep to come on Adam is God created Adam first, man first. And then he brings to Adam all the different creatures, other creatures that he's created. And Adam is giving names to all of these creatures, which is just fascinating to me again, inviting Adam, inviting man into his, into his realm, into his kingdom, into dominion. It's fascinating. But Adam's observation is he's watching these animals two by two. There's a male and female of each species. And he's looking at himself and he's, where's my counterpart? And there wasn't a counterpart. So God, in definition, all of his creation is good, it is perfect, it's right, it's according to his plan. But it wasn't good that Adam was alone. So he causes this deep sleep to come upon Adam. And then it says that he took one of his ribs, he took out of his side and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, whoa, buddy. This is, this is really cool poetry. Because um, it's almost like Adam is singing over his bride. If I could sing, I would sing over Julie. But I can't. She tells me to shut up because I sound like a dying cat. <laughs> but he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken out of man, Ish. Therefore, this is what Jesus was quoting, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. This is to hold to, to cleave to, to cling to, to stick to, shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What we see in these first couple chapters in regards to just the subject matter of marriage. God has designed us for each other. One man, one woman, in a unity, in oneness, for living out our life in that oneness, in that joint unity together, and it's absolutely fabulous. One of the major fruits of marriage is to be children. And we sit in that through the entire Old Testament. We're going to get into that in Malachi in just a minute. But God is looking for us. He's looked for my wife and I to produce children who love and honor him. We had our family planning. 
We'd stopped at three. We were outnumbered, and that was enough for us, and that's what we felt led to in our own marriage. Some of you feel led to other things. Praise God in whatever that looks like, but one of the things that he's looking for in us is is a godly product, uh, that fruit in children, Um, but he's also looking for us to image him to one another as we walk out this life side by side in relationship according to the roles that he has given to us. So you sit in this in the foundation. We're not going to press into the rest of the breaking. In chapter 3, you have sin. I mentioned last week in chapter 4, you've got that first description of marriage, that image of marriage being broken, of, um, you know, Lamech taking two wives and You can sit in all different narratives of marriage in the Old Testament. But we want to get into the definition of divorce, and that's in Deuteronomy 24. So turn there. Now remember, as Jesus is communicating to the testing of the Pharisees, they're asking him, well, if, if, if that's the way, if a man and a woman can't get a divorce and they're supposed to stay together, then why is it in the word of God as a command that a man can give a woman a certificate of divorce? Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart. So even going back to Moses' time, you just sit in this culture. Divorce is going on in that culture, just like divorce goes on in our, our culture. And it's something that ebbs and flows uh, throughout history, depending, depending on the different definitions each culture takes. But we don't care about the culture. We care about what God says. But here, Moses is saying in uh, Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Sounds like pretty easy, right? During Jesus' day, all of the commentaries press into these different schools of thought. Just like today in the church, you can go press into multiple teachings in regards to marriage, divorce, remarriage, have all these different definitions, and ultimately people latch on to those different commands of men to try and justify their own behavior and what's going on because of the hardness of our heart. During Jesus' time, as he's communicating to his crowd, there's two different schools of thought within the Jewish teaching. One of those schools of thought is if a man finds any uncleanness in his wife, in other words, if my wife burns my dinner, I can write on a piece of paper, hand it to her, send her out of the house, and go find somebody else who knows how to cook. Does that sound like freedom, protection, safety, love? I mean, that's that's totally contrary to the heart of God. The other school of thought during Jesus' time, again, is going to press more into what Jesus is saying, but still had a very list of here's all the acceptable reasons for why a husband can send the wife out. And again, Jesus is elevating all of our minds and our hearts. Here's the standard. Here's the will. Here's the design of God for each and every one of us. In those teachings in Jesus' culture, they're missing the original intent of even what's being communicated here in Deuteronomy and the law. 
Because what's being communicated, ultimately, it's trying to protect the, the, the woman in the relationship. Um, most of cultures don't allow a woman the freedom to divorce. It's only the husband's right. As you sit in a lot of history, the man's wife is treated as a piece of property, not as a human being in that role and relationship. So in this, you as a man, you can just write a certificate of divorce to your property, this woman, and send her on her own way. A widow in that culture, in that time, it's not, I mean, it's, it's hard in America for sure, but uh, there's a lot of opportunities for a woman to be able to provide for herself in our time. In this time, a, how would a worthy, worthy of my song, I pour out your praises and blessing and breaking your
with me one more time. I give you my worship. I give you my worship. You still deserve it. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of my song. I pour out your praises in blessing and breaking. You're worthy. You're worthy, you're worthy of my song. Is he worthy, church? He's worthy.
this is for you too. So that song, when we start teaching through the Lord's Prayer, I want that to be the fourth song every single time. Got it? That's instruction. All right. I never give them instructions and I knew I'd forget. (laughs) Communion. So this cup of the covenant that we take every time we participate in communion, this is an image of a betrothal cup in a Jewish marriage. So when a man and a woman came together in this betrothal period with their family, there's, there was a cup of covenant that was being drunk by both of the parties, the man and the woman. You know, it, it, it's, again, it's, it's identifying an image of, of the covenant and the promise that is being made. So every time that we are taking communion, as we look at this cup, Jesus is defined as the groom, and we are defined as the bride in that covenant relationship with him, which is just an awesome imagery. So I know as we talk about marriage, there's a lot of you that are saying, good Lord, what I do to deserve this one, right? And there's some of us that say, good Lord, what did I do to deserve that one? May all of us be on that second side. And again, as you need your heart transformed, if you think that you need work, and, and again, every marriage takes work, but she, you know, I mean, you need help where you are right now, you begin crying out to God for him to change you and to transform you first as you begin to shine light in, that, in his love and all that he desires you to do within your marriage context, and you watch him work to his glory in you and through you. Amen? Be praying for the marriages. I guarantee right now the enemy is on attack. May you pray for all of those in our congregation that are in singleness, that are, you know, have that plan for a spouse in the future. Pray for their spouse. Pray for their protection. All right, time to hang out.